even though we always think the Americans and the Germans are culturally very similar because in the, in the past 70 years we kind of grew up together, right? Um, in this direction we are very, very different. You know, there are so many like cliches and uh, other things going around and how you expect to be an American company. Um, and it was really interesting to find out that most of them are actually true. Where's my mug? That's my mug. So, three, two, one, go. Welcome to the Innovation Engineer Podcast, your favorite place for picking brains of your favorite engineers. So grab your nerdiest mug, fill it with the beverage of your choice and enjoy. My name is Tarek. And my name is Vashi. And today we ask ourselves, what's it like working for an American company? So we both already like worked either with a lot of Americans or directly for American companies. So we thought like it's time to share our experiences, give some insights, how it's actually like, what a cultural difference actually. So, and I think it's a really interesting topic and I love to talk about it because uh, I learned so much working with and for Americans. Right, right. But first, what's your mug today? So um, this is actually Black Butler and uh, Black Butler is called Sebastian. So that's actually my real first name, <laughs> like what's written in my ID card. So obviously my real first name is Vashi, but uh, on my ID card it says Sebastian. So that's uh, from an anime. So because I'm a big anime fan. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, technically uh, I still have um, the Final Fantasy mug. I'm not sure if it counts as an anime. It's like the Japanese game, right? Yeah, Nerd Dome. There, there are animes, right? So like, for example, for Final Fantasy VII, there's a movie, which is great. There's a general Final Fantasy movie, which is okay-ish. And there are a lot of like other things in between, right? So I think it counts as a nerdy mug, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is actually my nerdiest mug. So I have to um, switch up my game and buy some more. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's always the same cup. <laughs> so... Let's jump directly in and why we're talking about yes. it. You just came back from the Silicon Valley, right? So yes, why, that's why true. are you there, actually? Um, it was a, a very interesting training program from Axel Springer, um, where they allowed me to live there for two months and conduct some research. And so I was living there um, within one of the company houses um, and I was traveling through the valley in San Francisco and visiting companies um, to exchange knowledge, build up my network and actually research about how AI first is used for business development and building up new companies, new units, new, new projects. And the idea was that um, if you take a look at investors and the way that companies are created right now, everything is built up on AI. And uh, it feels like if your company or your project does not include uh, machine learning or AI foundation, then it will not be funded. And so this is what I wanted to try uh, to find out and work together with the Americans to see how like the best of the best in Silicon Valley think about this approach of AI. And if we are already there, that this is the new de facto standard. And if you are not working with AI, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. So that reminds me of another fun fact. John Deere, the agricultural company, I just learned it from uh, your tech review, is now becoming one of the major AI companies. And this is like mind-blowing, right? This means it's, it's in the middle of the mainstream if even like your agricultural products are using or relying heavily on AI. So cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, um, at the end, yeah, everyone can use it. Uh, right now, I think if you are searching for it, AI, most AI tools, they are either open source or available as libraries and tools. So there's not really a big um, hurdle that you have to, to conquer to get into the game. Yeah, you don't need 
like an army of scientists to work with AI. It's, it's really a standard. Okay, so I now also realize this will be one of our next topics and we need to talk about <laughs> right. AI. But uh, you know, one, yeah. Yeah, today it's about US. So why don't you join a US company? So you're working for Axel Springer, a German company right now. And why don't you join an American company? Yeah, I mean, the first question is, I don't have a green card, so I can't just jump in and join an American company. But on the other hand, um, I mean, it's not bad working in Germany and working for German companies, um, not per se. But it is true that it is very compelling to jump um, into this realm of American high tech, because American companies, they are, in fact, a little bit different in their attitude, in their culture, in their way of approaching things. And if you take a look at the uh, commercial success of Silicon Valley, then you see obviously they are doing something right. Uh, and I believe there are a lot of things um, with American companies that are, that are also wrong. But especially the one thing that is compelling me actually to think about working with the Americans is the spirit that they are bringing with them. And I, I noticed this in every single conversation that I had with, an, with American developers or managers, that they the, the first thing they are thinking about is what can be the next patent to, to claim and what's the next step we can take and where's the limit? And so let's try to, to break through this limit and go one step further. And this is really inspiring and energizing to think this way about technology and, and, uh, and, and stuff. And you would imagine that, especially in the technology realm, everything, everyone would think like that. But it, is, it seems to be kind of an American thing, even though I can't speak for Brazilians or Japanese people or something. But if I compare it to, to German working culture, this is something that actually feels special. But Vashi, um, you also work with Americans, right? So you must have some experiences yourself. Yeah, sure. But I'm actually directly working for an American company right now. Okay. So uh, I have the full experience. So I worked in, in many international teams, So, but they were always like German um, companies, right? So uh, there were different projects I worked where I was nearly made the only German in the team because like engineers are aware, so you hire internationally. In Europe, uh, you are especially open to hire from, from other countries, people, uh, people move to, to Germany and so on. So my teams were for years very international. But uh, the step to really working for an American company, the, you know, there are so many like cliches and uh, other things going around and how you expect to be an American company. Um, And it was really interesting to find out that most of them are actually true <laughs> in either way or another. <laughs> so, and I think what, what you said, this cultural difference, uh, how you tackle stuff, that's one of the major things, right? So Germans uh, are very pragmatic and also like uh, a lot of like other Eastern European um, cultures, uh, like people from Poland, which I would call often stoic or like uh, Romania, Croatia, which I worked heavily in the past. They are similar to this German pragmatic culture and the how also engineers in, in Germany work, like the, the stereotype of a German engineer, very dry and pragmatic. And that's often true. Obviously, there are personal um, differences on a personal level. But overall, this is like uh, a thing, how we grow up, how we approach problems, how we get uh, teach by our parents later in school. And that's different for Americans. So first of all, they, uh, they aim for the moon always. They exaggerate it. That's also... The first thing you are in a meeting with Americans, you can feel the spirit in, in a positive or in a negative way. Like it depends on how you view it. It's, oh, it's so exciting. It's super hyper giga great that you are here. So let's do it. And this is right. like 
okay, wow, American power coming <laughs> over. That's true. But at the same time, it's, it's not only the energy, it's really also the will to achieve things. And um, as you said, you can see this in every single meeting. So it's, it's really like, okay, who are we and what do we want to achieve? And where's the timeline? What can we do until next week? And is there something, is there someone I can call right now to make this happen? And so next week we meet again and then next step and next step. And this is amazing. And when I was there with my German stakeholders, it was like the other way around. So yeah, you are right. We have to talk about this with the board and then we have to check if uh, like the workers council is okay with this. And so maybe we can meet again in the next quarter. And, and it was like, okay, yeah, the Germans are really taking out the pace. So we, we just wanted to be finished with this thing next week. But no, no, not with the Germans. <laughs> It's what you just said, right? So this is like German companies work differently. For example, this Workers' Council, all the laws, right? So in, in Germany, um, if you hire somebody, uh, there is like a probation period of six months, Uh, where you can fire them. But afterwards, it's nearly impossible to fire somebody. You have all the social other things. Uh, so, you know, the, the welfare state in Germany is very, very big. So from your salary, normally you get less than half actually uh, out net, like what you get in cash from what your actually salary is, because the state has so many taxes and other things and social tax uh, and so on. And then you have this workers' council, which is very strong. And nearly every company has a workers' council who can influence who you hire. And before you fire somebody, you need actually to go to the workers' council and talk to them and think about alternatives and so on. And normally you can't fire somebody. You would need to give him two warnings, uh, which are also very official. And th this is also a very big difference. In, in the US, it's like hire and fire. And even for the company I'm working right now, Bitly, which is a socially very well-structured company doing a lot uh, and so on with very a lot of social programs, which say from themselves and think from themselves, we don't have this attitude, we don't have the Silicon Valley attitude. So main office, New York, second office, uh, San Francisco, and a third office in Denver. So um, they are in the most expensive places in the world and uh, do a lot for their employees and say, we don't fire easily and so on. And we take a lot of care for hiring. That's from yeah. an American perspective, true. Not from a German perspective. So uh, <laughs> the retention rates they have, so like how often people leave and go is so high. It's unbelievable. So uh, they are um, like 150 people and compared to the company I worked before, which was bought by Bitly, um, also similar size, 100 people. So they hire like five times uh, as much people as we do, but also like nearly three times as much people leave actually than compared to the Germans because uh, The culture in, in Germany is that if you work for a company, you stay there because that's you decided for. So job hopping is where compared to the US. But in the US, it's very different. You can hire somebody, but he can also leave the next day. So even if I want to quit my job in Germany, I will be there for at least the next three months. Because um, if you're in a leadership position, like your cancellation period is normally six months. And for normal workers, it's three months to the end of the month. So on 1st of May, if I want to... Uh, like cancel my job contract and get a new job, I would need to wait for the end of May before my cancellation actually is valid. And then three more months, that's June, July, August. So 1st of September would be the first day. So my company would have me for at least three to four months more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but this is exactly one of those points um, where I have to say I'm kind of conflicted because we started this conversation uh, by saying how amazing it feels uh, working in this American culture. But uh, if we are talking about things like workers protection or workers council, 
we are actually protected in Germany by this. And so the, it feels weird to say, ah, oh, this is so terrible that we always have to go to, to the workers' council since they are protecting us. And this culture of we're not able to fire someone, this should be something that is valuable and uh, which we love because we as an employee, uh, we as employees, we should be happy to be protected like that. But this is this is really weird because on the one hand i don't want to be fired on the spot like in an american company i'm happy that i have still three months um contractual um safety in germany when i get fired i still have three months to search for a new job which is a great thing um but on the other hand not being able to fire underperformers oh even after three months and so you have to keep working with them and you have to keep working with them um this is like the other extreme Yeah, and so in this perspective, I am not sure if the Germans or the Americans have the superior system because on the one hand, firing someone on the spot is bad, but on the other hand, being not able to fire anyone at all is also very, very bad. What's your opinion here? Uh, that's, that's really hard because uh, both systems have side effects. So for example, uh, a side effect in, in Germany is that if I have talent, I can make sure that this talent at least stays for three months and is not gone directly on the next day which is valuable for a company because if I lose my key player because he get double the salary for another company, that's bad. And um, on the other hand, what happens in America is that the thing of job security, people tend to make them like uh, unfireable by making sure that their position, that their knowledge is like an, an island nobody else can actually claim. So this is an issue that I saw in, in other American companies uh, I, I worked with. Uh, that there are people who really try to protect either their, their turf, which is bad because in a company I want like an overall system, everyone working together. And I saw a lot of this uh, protectionism in American companies um, because you don't want to be fired. And the other thing, um, which we also need to talk about, is uh, titles, promotions and hierarchy, which is very different. So most German companies, yes, they have this, but uh, it's on a totally different level. So even companies, German companies I worked with, uh, who would I say, okay, very enterprisey, a lot of hierarchy and so on, nothing compared to American companies. Because uh, if you can be fired on the next spot, what gives you kind of uh, social security is having a nice title, like director of engineering and then senior vice president. That's very important for them. So uh, this was also new for me. Everybody is getting promotions all the time. The, the hierarchy ladder is so huge because everyone wants to climb the ladder because this gives them also um, social security so that if I'm now like engineer level five, senior staff engineer, whatever, I can get a similar position in my next job uh, and can make sure that um, my life is kind of socially secured, right? So this yeah. is like a byproduct from this high and fire mentality, which is often bad for the company right right and, and this reminds me um, of one of our uh, previous podcasts where we talked about uh, the the self-organizing structure of teams and how this is kind of hurting uh, companies and this is when we now talk about strict hierarchies in the american companies and this is something that you also see in japan for example or chinese companies um, th this is the other extreme and i don't say that um, there is no self-organizing structure in american companies but they are way more let um, uh, in general yeah, not not to generalize all the companies but most companies that i saw are very uh, strictly organized from a top-down approach and the, in most cases it, it feels necessary because they are goal-driven and they they have to 
achieve certain accomplishments and goals in uh, within the year or otherwise they will lose funding and so they they really need to have a strong head figure a strong leader in the company who um, delegates to to the team leads who then delegates to the to the teams so the classical hierarchy um, and if you take a look at the military for example there you have it at, as well you need to act fast you need to act precise and you can't start like workshops on the field right um, and so this this attitude is is very goal oriented and even though the agile manifesto for example tells us yeah working from a, a bottom-up approach and uh, having like self-organization and uh, the teams brings better results but this is a very very um, um, very hard discipline to to achieve and so if we if you want to act fast and really manage a, a company in a very efficient way the first approach is is and probably should always be um, like this this hierarchy, which then can evolve if you're good uh, in it into some form of self-organization. But the Americans, uh, and there I appreciate the American system, they do this very pragmatically. Yeah, you know? say so they they start with the default of hierarchy, yeah? and uh, someone needs to take um, the head. Oh, do you say this in English? Put on the the head uh, of the leader and uh, tell where to go. And if the team is performing well, then they introduce some form of self-organization. Yeah. And so um, I, I think the Americans work more efficiently there. So many true and great things uh, you just said I want to jump onto. So I don't know where to start. Uh, the first thing is leadership. Um, um, what is a good leader is different in America or considered differently than mm -hmm. in European companies. So um, what about what I also saw, thought actually is that most American leaders are better. So I don't know why, because um, I can't explain it, but all the CEOs I met from American companies are very good. So they're doing a great job. So, uh, and most of the leaders too. That's, that's different to Germany. And the other thing is um, like how Scrum works, for example, right? In, in Europe, a lot of, Companies are very dogmatic and idealistic when it comes to Scrum and Agile and so on and do Scrum by the books and so. And most American companies, uh, they do Agile, but they do it very differently from uh, how we do it here. Um, I think this is also the influence of Fang, like Facebook, uh, Amazon, Netflix, Google, for example, Google management. They don't have a product owner. They have a team lead, again, hierarchy, right? So a team lead and a product manager, and the product manager is not deciding what the team is doing. So the, the work is more split between product manager and team lead and maybe a designer. So you have three people taking on the product owner role. That's what I saw, for example, in more American companies, that you have a stricter separation between product and engineering. So they are not one. So they work in parallel, which I also think often is not good. Again, if you want to achieve a specific goal, you're right with your hierarchies. But then I'm thinking about sustainability. So um, I want innovation in my core product and the self-organizing teams is not just like a self-organizing engineering team, but a cross-functional team, which owns a part of the user flow, part of the user domain, whatever, thinking from the, from that perspective. So um, that's necessary. Uh, for, for, for long time success, in my opinion. Otherwise, you can be become successful, but after you are like founders, key players leave, um, the question is, will you be successful or will you stay successful? And with a different approach, I would say you have higher chances. I saw some American companies doing it, uh, for example, eBay. So eBay is also in, uh, in Berlin. Um, it's there. They have like uh, specific sub brands uh, like Gumtree in uh, um, Australia, and they work that way. 
it's not that eBay, the core business works that way, uh, but they are kind of subsidiaries for uh, like Gumtree, for example, work also this cross-functional way, even if they're American companies. But I think this is the influence, the international influence and not the American thing, because American culture would normally not go in this direction. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, one thing that uh, pops into my mind that you talked about previously when we talked about American companies is um, how you sometimes had problems with your way of communicating and uh, talking because in the beginning you said, yeah, the Germans are pragmatic and direct. But I think in your case, you have a very special kind of being pragmatic and direct, right? What What was that about? Oh, yeah. So I'm very bold and very direct. So even on a German scale, very direct. So there's a great book I need to recommend. It's a cultural map um, and it's about cultural differences um, written by an American professor. Uh, she also um, co-wrote the uh, No Rules Rules book with uh, the founder of Netflix. And it's a great book. Uh, I read it like years ago when it came out because it was recommended by everyone. The Laugh Books. And I needed to reread it after my experiences with uh, my American colleagues. So this political correctness and being oversensitive is a big thing. So um, especially if you work in, in European teams, people from um, the eastern parts of Europe do some sexist, racist, incorrect jokes <laughs> all the time. So even way more than Germans. So there are things you can say in a German company where maybe somebody raises an eyebrow and that's it. So like the level of what's... Um, from a sensitivity point, political correctness point, okay, is very different. Uh, I won't say that, that this is good or we shouldn't aim for a bigger um, like goals. Obviously, we should be more correct. We shouldn't do this kind of stuff. But what's socially acceptable is very different than in the US. So the Americans are, first of all, I'm not a native speaker, right? So this is an issue. So, uh, and um, I don't know what's political okay or not. So for example, in India, I would say, you could say the Holocaust never happened. And in India, nobody would say anything. But if an Indian working with a German says this, this would overstep a line totally, even if he's from India, yeah. right? So this is totally right. not okay. Even if you're from India, you didn't know, that's not okay. And it's similar with the Americans. So they have way other like red lines you could cross than we have. So, and um, I talked, for example, in a one-on-one -on -one talk about cultural differences and told stories about the book, the cultural map, about my own experiences and uh, told a story um, which... Uh, one of my Indian friends told me when we talked about the books, he's like an um, app uh, engineer. And when we talked about cultural differences with the Indian team we had and so on, he told me the story how it would be in India. And uh, when I did this, I faked an Indian accent. So this is like a total <laughs> no-go. So I, I later learned it, but, but be, like in the Big Bang Theory and, and so many other sitcoms I watch, they do it all the time. And I thought, okay, right. I, it will underline my story. So it was like, it was like so big. It was such a big issue that I was like, okay, sorry, I didn't mean this. I just wanted to talk about cultural differences and underline my story. So there's one point which is very different in American cultures. In Germany, you could just say, I wanted to underline cultural differences. That was my intention. I'm sorry. We would say, okay, your intention was correct. You were right. You just missed it. That's it. End of story. In a US company, it's not important what your intention was, just the outcome. I asked some German friends of mine who worked for Google, for example, and they said, yes, that's true. So it's unimportant what your intention was, just the outcome is important. And um, there were other things I learned when I talked with German friends. For example, um, again, not a native speaker using it. And then you guys are writing the summary. That's a total no-go. It wasn't like five years ago, but nowadays it's a total no-go because there were women sitting on the same table and they felt offended. 
And um, that's not what, what happened to me, but to a colleague. And then I also talked in our like uh, Slack channel and some other said he once lost a gig because uh, he said something similar. There was a woman who was so offended that he said, uh, guys, uh, when she was in the room, that it also went to their VP of D and E and I. It was such a big issue that they didn't want to work with him anymore, kind of. Yeah. So that's a big thing. And like my superior, he said in one of meeting, ah, sorry, uh, that's, that's my fault. I'm so retarded. That's like the R bomb. That's a thing you are not allowed to say. It was like, okay, this is like using the N word in the US. You are never mm. going to use this. It's super offensive. It seems to be true for a lot of American companies, if they work international, that um, the, the uh, level of sensitivity is on a totally different scale and they are not used to work with non-native speakers. So um, they are used because they grew up with that language to uh, watch what they say. But we don't. We are. We watch maybe American television, but this is not our, our our first language. So obviously, we may use words which are outdated. We didn't know about it because, like, we learned English ten years ago. We don't talk with Americans that often and in detail. So there are very small nuances of what you can say, should say, and not. And you, like, doing a mistake in this way is way bigger in the U.S. than in Europe. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, and and while we were t uh, telling the story. Um, I was just reminded that in the past, like very in the past, eight years ago or something, um, I worked in a multicultural team in Germany and we also had a conflict like this. I mean, especially in Germany, we are always very open uh, regarding different cultures and we embrace having different cultures and different influences, different opinions in the team because it usually makes us stronger. Um, in this particular case, we had a German developer and he was very like dirty mouth like every second word that he was speaking was just like a let's say dirty word and usually when you have germans it's fine you get used to it it's just his way of speaking it's it's like like yeah i don't know german slang but we also had a chinese person in the team um very well educated uh very um very christian yeah like very uh with christian values and he actually felt offended simply by hearing these words and so he, he was not able to stand in the same room as the other developer because he 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 literally said um this language hurts his ears yeah and and this was really strange because on the one hand i can totally understand it is it's not not custom for him and he's in germany he must like hear this every day right it's the way that the germans are talking but this was really hard trying to um accommodate every single person's opinion and spirit and bring everyone together because sometimes it's absolutely not compatible and you have to ask the Chinese person to be more forgiving and understanding, but at the same time, be talk with the German person to try to be a little bit more um, careful with how he communicates. Because if if it's really hurting the other people, I mean hurting in, in quotation marks, um, then this is this is a problem. This was one of the cases where we were not able to actually create this multicultural compatible atmosphere and uh, those developers they were not able to work in the same room at the end yeah and so um sometimes i think having 
something like a cultural standard helps the people find the the common tone to speak with and uh, of course as a german and american team it's strange as a, an american and german team it might be strange um, but having no rules at all and having this freedom of everyone can do what they want is also problematic on, the, on another scale so i i believe even though it is strange sometimes it, it makes sense to simply try to adapt to, to the foreign system that you're growing into because this way you find something like a common ground that everyone can agree on working with. And if it's not possible to work this way, then you have to find another team. Uh, but um, th this is one of the things where I wouldn't say um, it's, it's bad as the Americans are doing it or bad as the Germans are doing it. Um, it it's just important to find this common ground. But the pitfall that, that you were describing is, of course, amazing because... Um, Even though we always think the Americans and the Germans are culturally very similar because in the, in the past 70 years we kind of grew up together, right? Um, in this direction we are very, very different. But, but you just uh, shook, shook your head. What, what's, what, what did I say? Yeah, I really need to take a stand here. So yeah. um, I learned a lot and this is a great opportunity for me to grow. And the Americans, in my opinion, are one step ahead of us. So... Obviously, we Europeans and also especially the Eastern Europeans need to adapt to this one. So like, yes, there are some downsides if you overdo it, but it's the right thing to do. I said something racist. I didn't really know by the time because this is a thing you always need to challenge. What is okay? What is not okay in our society? And I think the Americans, uh, even if they have a lot of issues internally, in this way, they are a step ahead of us and we should try to be more sensitive. And also in your case, you just described it's clear who was in the right The, your Chinese engineer, because um, if somebody felt offended, uh, it's not like he's oversensitive. Because when I told my story, some of my friends, private friends said, oh, they are Americans, oversensitive, and it's so annoying. I don't agree. So this is like uh, the standard we should measure ourselves in, like being an ally to people who are underrepresented, like being more sensitive. That's that's one of the the main reasons. So there are so many things which I'm annoyed by American companies. We can talk about it uh, in a few seconds. But this is the main reason I love working for an American company. It gives me, my, myself, really a chance to grow, be more sensitive, uh, uh, polish my social skills, actually. Uh, this is a thing I'm really learning there, the main reason why I'm actually doing it. And um, again, in the book, uh, the, the culture map, there are a lot of examples how you can overcome cultural differences uh, with different cultures. There are great examples in here. But this is a, a thing where I said, we Germans are like a few years behind uh, America in the regards of D&I. And, and we should copy some of the stuff here, even if something yes. is really annoying and oversensitive. Yes, but uh, to, to take this, this argument back, um, we, you said like racism and sexism, and you're totally right. Those things are not okay. And this is, of course, crossing the line. When, when I meant dirty words, I meant like, this code is shit. Yeah. And this is already the, the offense that the other developer took. And so it's, it's not like he was cursing at him and you, you are a bad person or you are, you are a shithead or something like that. This would, of course, be like a personal attack and not okay. But using the word shitty code, for example, is already bad language in this direction. And of course, you could say it's not necessary in a corporate context to call, shit, uh, to call, call code shitty or something like that. Um, but it's kind of 
you could argue it is kind of the standard vocabulary in software development, right? So this is a crappy pull request or something like this. Uh, yeah, I can't Again, work with this code base. Yeah, This argument so, is, in my opinion, not valid. So saying this is the standard, how it's right now, this is like, that's not what you should aim for. So it may be, and it's also like that uh, different things which are considered racist in other countries are not considered racist in Germany or sexist, right? So the level of sexism yeah. in Germany is like, a third of in the US. So in Germany, you could say something super sexist that it's totally fine for everyone, which would get you fired on the spot in the US. So <laughs> that's how big of a difference it, it is. That doesn't mean because this is the standard that it's okay. And also there are different words which don't belong in a professional environment. And if the person felt offended, obviously the other engineer should stop cursing and also calling code shit. Yes, I did it too. I, a lot of people do it. That doesn't mean it's okay. Because obviously you're offending people with it, the person who wrote it, person who thinks, okay, uh, whoa, right? I also learned that um, the differences in different states in the US are bigger than in different countries in, than in Europe. So for example, offering your services uh, to 500 million people in Europe uh, is easier than doing the same like tax-wise in the US. And hiring people from all over Europe is easier than hiring people from all over the US. And I was like, okay, this is one country and you still... What do you need to do to hire someone from Texas? What do you need to do to what? So this is that was really surprising for me that actually yeah. the differences between the single states in the US are bigger than the differences, um, not the cultural, the, the law differences than between different um, European countries because we have the European Union, which creates some laws, stick to it and make it easier for like someone from Spain working for a German company or vice versa and so on. And this was also very surprising to me. And I learned they are not very open to hire outside of the US. So most companies uh, I met, I was like, okay, so you're hiring in New York and San Francisco. That's the most expensive places in the world. Maybe you could hire from Brazil because they have a great computer science education. They're way cheaper. They're in the same time zone. And everyone I met there, they are great. I would totally hire them on the spot. And they were, yeah, but then, and uh, then he's part of the team and from Sao Paulo. And how is it going to, you just hired a single developer from Texas, your first developer from Texas, and he's working remote. What's the difference from your single developer working from Texas than the one from Sao Paulo? Yeah. Right. So Americans have a hard time accepting stuff outside of the U.S. This is one point which really annoys me because they are, this means they are not that open for different things and for some ideas because they can't think in the direction. We talked a lot about positive things, maybe some controversial things, but are there things which really annoy you actually when you would work for an American company or from American companies? I, I wouldn't say annoy in, in this direction. Um, what I really found sad was... Uh, that whenever I talk about the the vacation days, for example, that we have in Germany, um, this is something that I really enjoy having 30 days of paid vacation. And this is so, it sounds crazy for the Americans because in, in the American way of thinking, um, vacation seems always to be something bad. Yeah? In, in, in the German way of thinking, we say it's necessary to refill your, your battery. You have to sleep and you have to go go to, I don't know, to Spain to get some sunlight. And so, of course, you need like th uh, 30 days uh, of that. But uh, for the Americans, they are afraid to get sick because their, uh, their, their working contract says, you are allowed to get three days of sickness per year. And after that, you won't get paid anymore, right? And so if you get sick, 
you become homeless because you can't pay your rent anymore. And this is something that it's, it's, it's really bad. And so you see people going to work while they are sick because they can't afford not to, they can't afford to stay home. Yeah? And at the same time, um, they can't really do any vacation. And when they're working, they work for 12 hours or eight, 18 hours, 16 hours because they feel they have to because they are get paid and so it's kind of the the unspoken rule that you're not working for eight hours but you're working for 12 hours because you're expected to deliver results and this is something that really felt bad and working there means adjusting to this level you can't say yeah but i will take 30 days of vacation and i get sick whenever i want and i go home uh, after eight hours of work um, so on the one hand i really adore this um, target-oriented working, this goal-oriented working, but as a worker, it, it feels really bad in, in the long run. And especially if I think about people not in the IT world where people are usually paid very well, but if you're not paid very well, but you're still expected not to get sick and uh, work for 12 hours or 16 hours, um, and in the worst case, you have to do like two jobs or three jobs at the same time. This can't be sustainable. And this sounds really, really bad. And I, th this is one aspect that I do not want to ad adopt in, in Germany. Yeah, m maybe a little bit, but not like in this extent of really killing your employees. Yeah, yeah. Is this something that, that you uh, suffered as well? Well, not suffered from. So uh, still, I actually worked for a European company, which was bought. And now I'm working directly for an American company. We're working together. So that's uh, different. But uh, yeah, you're right. So the social stuff, all this, what goes with the welfare state, that's the main reason I would not really want to move to the US and so on. That I currently enjoy the benefit of both worlds, right? Uh, I'm located in Germany. Actually, uh, there is like a, a, Euro, a European subsidiary I'm actually contracted to, uh, but I'm in, in the end working for an American company in an American culture with uh, all the other things which I can experience and learn from. But for example, moving to the US, all the social stuff like vacation days, sickness, leave, uh, long working hours, that's something I would not uh, want actually for my life. I also think it makes you un less unproductive because especially in this knowledge world, you need the slack time. Best ideas come from when you're walking, when you have time off. So you need a lot of slack to make the right decisions, the best decisions. Um, that would actually, I would miss. So that would make me un less unproductive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. That, that's true. And th there in this direction, I think... Um, even though we keep ranting about the Germans or the Europeans, um, this is actually true. Being a creative, and as a software developer, I consider myself as like a creative worker, it is really great to have breathing space and the, the calmness and the freedom to actually think about the craft that you are working on and not working on this, this bam, bam, bam schedule and you're tired and you need to sleep, but you still have to work six more hours or something. You can't be as productive. And on the other way, um, I think there are these, these experiments, I think uh, inherited from the Scandinavians where they say uh, we claim that in a four-day week, four-day work week, you can be as productive as in the five-day work week because um, you are more focused, because you are more relaxed. And so there's no need to, to work day and night. And if we compare this approach with the you have to work uh, 16 hours um, uh, in, in one row, um, it would be a really, really 
let's say, a disruptive way of thinking, um, working more efficient and not more, more. <laughs> and so, so I'm really interested in um, if this approach is something that will conquer Europe, first of all, because we seem to be more open-minded in this direction. And if at least in, in the Silicon Valley, Valley area where they seem to be kind of progressive, um, where, where they might adopt a working schedule like this as well. And I, I would really love to see um, if this is something where a company can prove that they are at least as efficient as the company who forces people to work for 12 hours or maybe even better, right? I think there was this one quote, and I'm not sure if this is like an urban legend or if this is really a quote, where I think Bill Gates once said, I only hire lazy people because they think about the most efficient ways of reaching a goal fast without a lot of work. Was it Bill Gates or Steve Jobs? I'm not sure. Probably I'm misquoting people right now. But I think this is this is a quote that kind of brings some truth with it. Yeah. So you do not always have to work harder if you are able to work smarter. And this is yep. a real quote that I read somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there are also the, like the three virtues of a good engineer. I forgot them, but laziness uh, was definitely one of them yeah. because that makes you more productive. This is like right. um, creative work. Before we come to an end, there are like two things which really annoy me, or like at least three things. The first thing is this um, super hyper energy uh, exaggerating thing. So if you are in, in meetings, especially facilitated meetings, uh, feedback meetings, whatever, it's like, oh yeah, and, and so great. And we are so doing so well. And I'm like, okay, maybe you should talk about the problems. And then you fill out forms where you say what's good, what's bad. And then they only read out what's good because they are so positive that there is like five positive things for maybe a tiny negative thing. And that's also true for, for feedback culture. So, um, If you are getting feedback from your French superior, which are very direct, or from your uh, uh, coming from the Netherlands or from German superior, you say, okay, that's what you get, did good, that's what you did bad in a very programmatic way. And so, okay, you need to really improve on this way. So he's very um, direct with giving you feedback where you should improve. If you have an American superior and he's really unhappy with you and really giving you the talk, it's like, okay, you're doing this great, you're doing this great, yeah, you really did great there. Uh, there's like, as a fifth point, a small thing where it could improve. Maybe you could be more silent when others talk. And he thinks, <laughs> okay, he really gave you the talk and really criticized you very heavily. Right. And you think, oh, wow, he really likes me. He thinks I'm the best worker. I never good, ask good feedback. So Americans are very direct. They are um, a low context culture. So when they start a talk, they first will tell you what the talk is about give you the talk, do a summary. After each meeting, you will get a summary of the meeting. So they are very, very explicit. So, okay, I'm not a small child. You don't need to repeat it like five times. But that's how Americans are. That's the same is with like organizational charts uh, because they really want to make sure that everyone knows who's doing what. They are very explicit in anything except for giving feedback. So then I come by, typical German say, okay, what you just built is not good. It's a bad idea to migrate just for the sake of migrating from one programming language to the others. Don't build caching yourself, use the library. That's way too direct. So this is like this kind of direct feedback giving to Americans unasked for is like they feel offended. And if mm. you are in a meeting and you're doing your typical German style, say, what you just built is not good and you should change it. And that's your presentation was also not good. And the other one is also, okay, thanks, it's very valuable. I really love feedback because that's how we really want direct feedback. That's what we value. Americans in the room, 
feel very uncomfortable. If you do this, they feel so uncomfortable. And afterwards, I had an occasion that could be, okay, this that was like, like a big fight. Uh, wow, I really felt uncomfortable. What? I just gave him feedback. And he really liked it. Afterwards, we were going to drink beer. That's that's also a big difference. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and th this is something that I did not experience because um, I never worked in this, um, in this depth that I was involved in this kind of feedback um, system. But it is true. This is a, a scenario where I would love to simply talk about what needs to be talked about and uh, putting the cards on the table and not do like this big ritual and uh, cheering someone up who needs to be cheered on, right? Um, so th this is something where I probably would also prefer direct communication and uh, getting to the, to the core of what needs to be said. Yeah. So we still didn't talk. Maybe we should the last three minutes of what you actually learned about uh, in the Silicon Valley about um, yeah, Silicon Valley culture, right? Yeah. I, one observation that I also collected was um, that people are strangers there. I, I barely talked to like real Americans that I came into and everyone is American. It's very multicultural and people from all over the world come there probably like me to experience this way of working and this way of innovating. And so I was working with Polish people and British people and uh, Spanish people and um, it, was, it was so diverse, but they all shared this enthusiasm and this energy uh, that this somehow radiated out of this this place it's it's just working in san francisco it, it makes you uh, like glow this way and this is this is amazing um and uh, i think this is where where this is coming from but at the same time most people did not feel at home there they were all strangers they were all misplaced from their home and so it was it was really a culture of meeting this indian guy and he was a stranger there like you and uh, getting getting a coffee um, and talking about uh, what, what um, this this whole culture is like. Um, we are all the same there, and so it was it was really a very inviting culture. And uh, wherever I I stepped in, people were quickly understanding that I have no idea what what is going on there because I was the, the stranger. But everyone is is a stranger over there, um, and so uh, at at no point in time I felt like an unwelcomed guest. I, I was always one of them because they were all like me. Someone who came to Silicon Valley to learn, to uh, to push the boundaries, to understand what the next decade will all about and how blockchain and AI technology will shape the society of tomorrow. And um, th this was really amazing. And, and that's why in the on the one hand, we are talking about American culture, But at the same time, it's it's this place. It's not really the the American culture that is dominant there, but what this this Silicon Valley spirit is doing with people coming there from all over the world. Um, and um, we always say Berlin in, in Germany is a melting pot, a multicultural melting pot. Uh, but if you say that you you were never there in Silicon Valley, which is like really a melting pot from all over the world, yeah. And uh, on the one hand, it's not so so much the cultures that that meet there and melt but but the people yeah like like-minded people with different backgrounds coming together working on the hottest topics that uh, the the it world is needing right now and and so this is something where i say um for it people silicon valley is our mecca right every everyone in it has to 
uh, to what's the word Pil make a pilgrimage <laughs> to Silicon Valley at some point in, in their career simply to inhale this way of thinking and this way of innovation driven spirit that that lives over there and take a little bit of this way back home you just totally sold me the idea that was the best <laughs> prep talk i ever got so i now i really need to go there so actually my goal was going to new york because also our headquarters is here but now i really need at least two weeks in the valley <laughs> yeah i think it's it really it's really worth it maybe let's sum up so overall There are differences. Uh, I like them. Stuff is, some stuff is annoying. Some stuff I really appreciate. For me, it's a great learning opportunity to work for an American company. If I could give any recommendation, like you just said, any engineer should pilgrim at least once to uh, our Mecca. Uh, I would say uh, every engineer should work at least once for an American company because it's so different. Yes, you can work for a European company, but just experience this kind of a challenge but also opportunity to grow because they tackle things differently and you learn so much stuff what's working what's not working and can take it with you to the next company so i think it's really valuable working for an yeah. american company would yeah, i want to I do agree. it all all the time no because i'm too bold too direct and uh, watching my words all the time is take a lot of work for me so uh, i don't think i will work for american companies all my life Yeah, that was well summed up. Um, and in the next episode, we will talk about the state of VR and AR technology. And I, I'm personally, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, Vashi, you know, I have like all the equipment and all the games at home. I'm really an enthusiast in this. Um, and so it's always interesting to talk about how this predominantly gaming culture and gaming tech is taking over also the corporate and let's the corporate world and society and all and um, it's really interesting to have a look at what will happen or what is the state of vr and ar today and what will happen in the next years because i be i strongly believe that there's a lot of uh, things to come so see you again next week at the same time and on the same spot bye bye Thanks so much for listening to the Innovation Engineer podcast. If you take any value from our content, please make sure to rate us wherever you're listening right now. All articles, products, and references we discussed in this episode will be linked in the show notes. Some of the links we provide are affiliate links that generate a small commission for us without costing you extra. Any support is highly appreciated and helps us keep this podcast alive. Visit theinnovationengineer.com to find more content about software engineering, innovation, and the hottest trends in tech today. Stay awesome. <laughs>